Now we just have to hope that we don't get taken down for DM DMCA. But that's fine. I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> the good news is, is that doesn't go directly into the feed, so we're good to go. All right, so as Josh pointed out, this is a new month. It's called November. Uh, so that means that it's my turn to preach. It's on the schedule. Uh, I'm going to continue what we've been uh, talking about, uh, but I'm going to talk about what it looks like to collaborate uh, healthily, right? Healthy collaboration is the topic of the month. Now, I could just come out and say, well, collaboration is the action of working with someone to produce or create something. Well, that's the definition, and that's great. But what does that look like exactly? How do we actually do that? Um, do we just uh, grab somebody and start working together with them? Uh, companies like to talk about teamwork. It's the same thing, right? Teamwork, collaboration. They try to get you pumped for what you're doing. Uh, every, every Thursday, I have a team meeting. And in this team meeting, they try to come up with various ways to motivate me to work together to accomplish site goals. Uh, so site goals, just so you know, is that you know, we're above 95.2% accuracy on our calls. That means it's okay if we mess up every now and then, but we want to give good information to taxpayers for some reason. Right. Right. So it's okay if we mess up every now and then, but try to be as accurate as possible. So they try to come up with all these team building activities for us, right? Uh, for this month, let's focus on this, and every time you do this right, uh, you know, you get, a, get something out of the candy basket or something. Or, hey, let's come together and have a potluck, and everyone bring uh, sugary treats and maybe some small oranges, and we'll call that healthy, and we'll be good with it, and it'll be a celebration. For Halloween, you know, you could go around to all the different teams and they would all have big bags of candy and we had people that would literally walk around and just plop down candy on your desk. We had uh, one lady who took it up another notch and was like trick or treat and if you chose treat she'd let you reach into another like a little pumpkin thing and pull out whatever it is she put together. I got a uh, 30 day old fig um, that was rotten because I didn't want the treat. There was too much sugar for me. So people, you know, for work, try to come up with various ways to get us to work together. Uh, for collaboration, as Colin was pointing out last month, the, probably the most prominent example we see on a regular basis is a sports team, right? Uh, football, I mean, there's a lot of football on just yesterday. Uh, just on, on regular television, there's three different channels showing three different college games, and then after those college games were over, three more college games started. Um, we got to see examples of teamwork and positivity and trying to reach a goal, and unfortunately, that goal is just scoring more points than the other team. Well, that's collaboration, though, right? They're working together, they're motivated, they're um, seeking to accomplish something, uh, it's just kind of sad that what they're trying to accomplish is a few points. What they're trying to accomplish is a trophy at the end of the season. See, as, as a society, we have this great sense uh, that working together is a good thing, right? 
We may not like it, but it is a good thing, and we should do it. And no matter where you go, no matter what job you're doing, they always want to work with you. They want you to uh, work together to accomplish something because it is really easy to recognize that only by working together can we get things accomplished. Um, this is not a, a foreign concept, of course. Uh, Jeremiah is, uh, for his project-based learning project, is writing stories. And he got to write about uh, the, the Tower of Babel. I won't tell you his story, because that'd ruin it. You get to read it for yourself and see his pictures. It's, but it's a, it's a classic example. The Bible describes for us a time period where everybody spoke the same language, everybody traveled to a specific area, they worked together to accomplish something great. They were going to build a tower that reached into the heavens. Basically, bring God down to them by building up to them. We have within us the capability of working together to create great things. We are directed to work together to create great things. Uh, one of the things that uh, we are all supposed to be working towards is our great commission, right? What does it say in Matthew? I've heard smatterings, and, but basically we are... Uh, to sum it up, we are directed to go forth and make disciples of all men. Uh, we are to spread the good news, right? <clears throat> so what does it look like for us to collaborate in a healthy way to make sure that that takes place? That we make disciples. Uh, that we spread the good news. <clears throat> that we work together uh, not just for a few points, not just for a trophy, uh, but for something that's meaningful for people's lives, something that has a lasting effect. Uh, the problem with always reaching out for a trophy is there's always someone better, right? That's why you don't have, if you look back, uh, we'll take football, if you look back at all of the Super Bowl winners, has the same team ever won more than 10 in a row, more than five in a row? Sometimes, if you're lucky, they'll hear about the three-peat, right? There's always someone out there that's better. There's always someone that will be able to reach that trophy, and everybody's focused on that. But it's not a guarantee. It's something that will waste away. At the end of the day, that trophy means nothing. And it is so easily that someone could come along and take that from you. We have something greater to work for. But that means that we have to work together in a healthy way to make sure that that happens. We have something that no one can take from us. But there is a way for us to work together to make sure that more people have access to what we have access to. Because God continues to seek us out while we were yet sinners, right? So, Today we're going to talk about one aspect of that. We're going to start today reading in Romans, and we're going to start in Romans 12. We're just going to look at the first two verses. So in Romans 12, verse 1 through 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So let's just take a little bit of opportunity to examine what's being said here. Paul starts out this section with a call. First, there's the word, um, and so. Others say, therefore, uh, meaning it's a continuation of the previous thought. And if you look back through the first 11 chapters of Romans, you'll see that Paul has taken opportunity to talk about everything that God has done for us. And so he starts out here with a continuation of that. This is the, I want to say it's the last place in Romans you see a therefore, a continuing. He stated, he stated his purpose for this letter. Then he continues on with a call. And this call is not just for a single person. It's not just for a particular person that he's writing to. He's writing to all brothers and sisters. This is a call, as it says in the New King James Version, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you. Paul sets forth a plea, not a command. It is a call. It's not some type of you know, law, there's no legality to it, it's a request. It is a request not to neglect what we have been given. Now you see, in this, Paul isn't commanding us because, above all, God has given us free will. We have the right to choose our actions. In fact, the Bible does say that we are free under Christ to do anything, but that does not mean, of course, that everything is beneficial for us. So even in this, Paul recognizes that. And he says, I plead with you. I beg of you to make a choice, to make a decision. Now, what is the basis of that decision that you're making? Right? With every decision we make, there's a, an understanding, there's a truth that we're trying to uh, be true to, we're trying to discover, we're trying to look for the best outcome for us. So with that decision, he says that we should give our bodies to God because of what he has done for us. See, this isn't just you should decide to do this, but there's a reason, right? One of the things that, uh, that I find comforting, because I'm like a logical type person, right? I like to, you know, I pro programming, it's all these things have to happen in this particular order. Um, in, uh, in electronics, right, there you've got the flow of electricity just right, and if you happen to be short-circuited somewhere, something doesn't happen right. Um, at uh, work, you know, I get to play with web pages, and if I don't put uh, something in the right place, then it just doesn't work. Uh, usually it's something small like a semicolon, 
or a parenthesis. It takes forever to find it. Uh, but there's a logical uh, progression. This is, this is something that we should do, and there's a logical reason that we should do it. So he pleads with us specifically to give our bodies to God because of what he has done for us. And then if we look back through even just the chapter 11 of Romans, we're, we're given lots of reasons that it makes sense for us to do this. Uh, other translations say do this because of God's mercies. So let's just take a look back. What has God given us? Uh, God has given us through his mercy forgiveness of sin. Now, some people may not understand what that means. Oh, big deal, I did something wrong. But that's a huge thing, because as it does say in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. So we have received forgiveness for our sins, which means that that price has been paid. We have been forgiven for that. We have received through God's mercy justification by faith. Justification by faith. Faith in what? If we have faith in who his son is, that his son has come and died for our sins and rose again through his blood, if we believe in that, we, provide, we are provided with justification by faith. God, through his mercies, has provided peace with himself. Since, since the Garden of Eden, since the time of Adam and Eve, there has been chaos in relationship. There's been trial in relationship with God. See, Adam noticed that there was a disparity. There was something different about God and him. He also noticed that he was naked and he was ashamed to present himself before God in that state. Did God care about that? God still came towards him. God still came to walk in the garden with him. Adam is the one that had trouble presenting himself naked before God and was ashamed of that. But immediately there we see that there is chaos. There is trouble in relationship. And God, through his plan, through his son, has provided for a rejoining, for a peace in that relationship with God. God, through his mercies, has also provided a union with Christ. As it says in John 17, Jesus praying before his disciples to God prays for us to be one with him as he is one with the Father. So that we may be as one. God, through his mercies, has provided freedom from sin and freedom from the law. We are no longer bound as a slave to sin. We are also, consequently, through Jesus Christ, no longer bound to the law, for the law has been fulfilled through him. 
God has also provided for adoption for us. We have been adopted into his family to be the sons and daughters, along with Christ. And also God has provided possession by his spirit. We are not left alone in this world to wander without guidance, without companionship, without encouragement, but we are given his spirit to help to guide us. God has provided for our salvation. If the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through his Son. Because of this sacrifice, because of God's plan, we can experience salvation from that sentence. And there is no separation then from Christ's love. God has also provided inclusion not just for his people, the chosen people of Israel, but the inclusion of the Gentiles. We've described before a tree. Through that tree, other branches have been grafted onto it. True story, did you know that there are uh, trees that have been grafted with various different branches from various different fruit species and you literally can have a tree that will produce different fruit all throughout the year, but off of the same trunk. We have been grafted, adopted, into the tree. We are sons and daughters of God, and we share in that, not just with the chosen, with the elect of Israel, but all of us as Gentiles have opportunity to partake of that as well. Now, if nothing more, if you were to just take all of these things that God has bestowed upon us, all of these mercies would be reason enough for us to give our bodies to God, to give our service to God, to do our service for God, to give of our whole selves for God. But there's more than just these logical steps. But these logical steps, these reasons provide for people like me that think in that way a way to balance out the, the pros and the cons. To think logically about what is God has given for me and to have some type of a, a platform that that's based off of. Paul continues on to say, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Now what is a sacrifice? We're in the, what is, this is the 21st century, right? Do we do a lot of sacrifices? Do it, who is uh, slain an animal, burned its flesh? No, poured its blood, nobody? What's that? There's other things that we do sacrifice to. Our sacrifices usually are in the way of our time, the way of our money. Now, I'm not going to call out video games, Aunt Rose. Those can be used as a powerful tool for Christ as well. <clears throat> a sacrifice 
Well, there's a couple of different sacrifices, right? Uh, if you look through the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus lays out specific roles for the priests and exactly how they should be offering sacrifices and for what offense and that type of thing. Once a year, there was the sacrifice for atonement for sins. Now, we, as not being under the law, we don't have to worry about that. Um, we don't have to worry about the sacrifice for sin because Jesus himself offered his own body and his own blood for sacrifice. Our sin has been atoned for by the sacrifice of Christ once and for all. So that's not the type of offering that we're talking about. But there were offerings done on more of a daily basis. You remember the story of Jesus breaking into the marketplace, having gone back and built a whip, upturning tables, casting out people that have made his father's house a den of thieves. Those people were there not for the atonement of uh, of sin that was done once a year, they were there for daily sacrifices, for people to come to the temple to give of sacrifice for day-to-day uh, -day offerings that they had made. And these were not living offerings. These were obviously dead offerings that were uh, needing to be done over and over and over again. We are asked to bring forth a live offering. It's a little bit different. We are asked to give of ourselves wholly. We are to be set apart. We are to be a living and holy sacrifice, being made to him as a service, an expression of thanksgiving, or an homage. We are offering ourselves entirely. We are releasing all claim. We are set apart for the service of God. We are to be submitting to God, to be disposed of at His will. What did Jesus say in the garden as He prayed? Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup. But how does He end that? But thy will be done. In the example of Christ, we see someone that has given themselves fully and submitted themselves to God's will. This is the offering that we see here in Romans. This offering to devote ourselves to God as we no longer have any claim on ourselves. We are pleaded by Paul to submit ourselves, to be set apart, and to be a living, continuing sacrifice to God. We had been a slave to sin, and we have served that master only too well. But we have now been paid for. We no longer serve sin as a master, but now we serve God. Now, we are told if we give this kind of sacrifice, it will be one that will be found acceptable. Other translations say, this is reasonable service. Now, this is where Paul takes opportunity to uh, 
speaks specifically to the Jewish Christians in Rome, reminding them of the service of the Levitical priests as they do their reasonable duties, as they do what uh, God finds acceptable. These things together are reference to the totality of our being, right? Giving up of our whole self. This is a living, holy sacrifice as we are set apart by God and he does find that acceptable or reasonable. It indicates that it is pleasing to God. And then it says, this is truly the way to worship him. Isn't that interesting? When you think of worship, what is it that comes to mind? Singing songs? Going to church on Sundays? What do we even call the call Sunday morning service? It's our worship service, right? Worship is not just a church activity. Giving yourself fully to God doesn't just mean that, well, I show up every Sunday and I sing praises to his name. And then after I'm done, I go home and watch football. Amen. Worship is not a momentary activity. Worship doesn't just take place within these four walls. Worship takes place everywhere that we go. In everything we do, if we're wholly submitted to God, if we have submitted our whole selves, that means that when LU goes out to repair some glass, he takes opportunity to worship God and to praise Him. When Jacqueline goes to the IRS and listens to people drone on and on about taxes, the most interesting subject in the world, she takes opportunity to worship God. When uh, John here stays home and gets up late because he's retired and can do whatever he wants to. He does so in a worshipful way and gives his time to God. Worship is not about a specific time and specific location. Worship, as it spells it out here, is specifically giving of our whole bodies and making a reasonable sacrifice to God. And if we do that in every task, we don't have to wait till Sunday to sing praises to his name. We don't have to worry about how good our singing voice is. The very act of giving ourselves to God and acting in that manner through every task is worship. So think about that on your commute tomorrow. Even when we get behind the wheel of a vehicle, you know, when we show our real, true, mean selves, you need to take opportunity in that to be thinking about how we should be acting because we have given ourselves over to God and it is not uh, just a time for us to, to yell at the crazy drivers. So now we must move on to understanding of what is being asked of us. We are being asked uh, 
pardon me, pleaded with. We're being pleaded with to make a commitment of our whole self to God and to his will. Well, that's great. We'll do that. What does that look like? Does it mean that when I walk out of these doors, you can hear me walking down the street because I'm singing his praises so loudly? Um, Does it mean I stand on a street corner and I tell people that they're all going to hell? Um, What does it look like in a practical way? What does it look like on a daily basis? Well, believe it or not, we're actually given some direction here in verse 2. In verse 2... It tells us in two different ways. It tells us what we shouldn't do, and it tells us what we should do. So it gives us a comparing contrast. We are told not to copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, believe it or not, this is a difficult task. We have literally spent our whole lives learning how to operate in the world. Even if we grew up in the church, we spent our whole lives learning how the world operates. We are surrounded by the message that the world wants us to understand. We discuss this all the time, and I know it it seems like we should understand this by now, but though we are to be in the world, we're not supposed to be of the world. You've heard this before, right? We are putting aside that lifetime of experience... We are taking opportunity to unlearn those coping mechanisms that we have put in place in order to survive our lives. We have to learn to do things from a different outlook, a different perspective. Though we've spent the majority of our lives learning how this world thinks, being inundated uh, in media that pushes an agenda, Uh, we have work lives that are saturated like... I'm living for the weekend, right? I can guarantee you when I go to work tomorrow in the elevator, someone will greet me and they'll say, Mondays, right? And then when we get to Wednesday, ooh, halfway there. And then, uh, oh, it's Friday. Or some of us that work alternative work schedules, that work the 10-hour shifts, Thursday is our Friday. Woohoo! It is so easy to get caught up in that type of, I don't know, excitement is the right word? Because it's just kind of empty. It's so easy to get caught up in that mindset, right? That we do this just because we have to do this, and then when we're done doing this, we have pure freedom to do whatever we want, but it's only because we do this that we get that freedom. It's that cycle that the world tries to promote, and the total goal of our lives is to work the smallest amount possible so that we have the most freedom available. And if we do things just right we can spend the majority of our lives in that freedom area and the minority of our lives in that have-to-work area. So we need to work hard and invent new computers and new technologies or new ideas. Uh, We look up to people like Bill Gates and 
Paul Allen and Steve Jobs as innovators, um, Mark Zuckerberg, right? That's the way we do things. We point out things like, oh, you don't need to worry about college and stuff because they didn't graduate from college. Right? Uh, we play the lottery. That happened a lot over the past couple of weeks. Because all I got to do is spend, what is it, five bucks? Two bucks? I don't know. Spend a couple bucks, and I have a chance that I could be a multimillionaire. I could be a billionaire, and then I could do whatever I want. Everybody over the last couple of weeks was rolling around saying, oh man, if you won, what would you do? We have a lifetime of experience with people thinking that way, and it's easy for us to get stuck in that. But we have to actually deal with that, right? We can't just let that lifetime of experience linger. We have to actually confront it. Um, not completely cut ourselves off from it. Not completely separate ourselves. Not do as the world tells us to do with our problems and run away. What happens when you run away from a problem? It's still there. It hasn't been dealt with. There's no resolution. It has the potential to come back at you because you've never really properly learned how to deal with it. So we can't cut ourselves off completely from the world, and we're not asked to do that. We're told to not copy the behavior and customs of the world. So if we're not supposed to copy their behavior and not supposed to follow their customs, what is it that we're supposed to follow? The world must be dealt with correctly, and we can't do it using worldly logic. So we move on, and it tells us in chapter 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Right? Now, is this an action that we're taking ourselves? Are we in our own power changing ourselves to be better people? Are we learning to have confidence and power? It's not an action purely of ourselves. Right, because the world would teach us we need to raise ourselves up. But verse 2 doesn't stand alone, right? Verse 2 follows verse 1 where we're told that we are to give ourselves wholly to God as a living, holy sacrifice. So if we give ourselves fully to God as a pleasing, holy sacrifice to Him, He will set apart the changing of our lives the metamorphosis, the changing. And where does it start? It starts with the way we think. So as we try to undo or unlearn everything that the world has taught us, we don't rely on ourselves to do this. God himself transforms our very thoughts. When we answer the plea from Paul, when we give ourselves as a whole living sacrifice, God 
literally transforms our way of thinking. When we rely on God's will and not our own, we have a brand new way of thought process. Now, some of those actions are going to look the same. I'm still going to go to work on Monday. But when somebody says to me, oh, Mondays, I will say, yeah, Mondays. Because I'm not worried about the mundane task ahead. I'm not worried about taking calls. I'm not worried about writing a lesson plan on interest. I'm thinking about God. I'm taking worship in every task that I do. I'm looking to fulfill God's will, even at the IRS. So though the actions may be the same, the driving force is transformed into something new. I'm not working hard so that I can amass a lot of money and I can live comfortably and I can do whatever I want to do. I'm working hard so that I can show people who God is through my actions. Right, that's the cohesive worldview we've talked about for years now, right? We're the same people we are here on Sunday that we are there on Monday. Only when we are transformed by God into a new way of thinking, if we're metamorphosed, metamorphosed, is that a word? Metamorphosized? Metamorphosized, that's better than metamorphosed. If we're metamorphosized by God, transformed into a new creature, then, only then will we know God's will for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So this is a process for us. It's not something that happens overnight. Uh, people talk about like the metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a, a butterfly, right? Uh, it's not something that just takes place. It is a process that takes place where the caterpillar body is literally liquefied and destroyed and reformed into the butterfly that eventually happens, or that, that eventually hatches, pardon me. It was an H word. I got it right somehow. So the Christian who commits their whole life and being to God as a sacrificial offering, based on the mercies of God, by renewing his mind through meditation upon God's word, gains an increasing ability to recognize God's will, that which is good, acceptable, well-pleasing, and perfect. So the three adjectives for the will of God, good, acceptable, perfect. They're not different levels of God's will. God, God's will is all three of them all at the same time. This is a level of Christian maturity that we're working to obtain so that our actions will be good, acceptable, and perfect. According to Ephesians 5.10, believers are to be carefully determining what pleases the Lord. And I believe that as we look 
at Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us how to do it. So what does this have to do with collaboration? Because I said, right, we were talking about collaboration this month. It begins here. It begins with offering yourself fully and wholly as a sacrifice to God. Because it transforms your way of thinking. If you're set apart living sacrifice, not conformed to the world, but transformed by God's will, you're not working anymore under the selfish ambition of trying to keep your own will intact. You're not trying to run around like a green lantern to protect yourself and those that you love, harnessing your will with your green power ring. You're not seeking after your own will, you're seeking after God. If you focus purely on what you get out of the deal, well, guess what? You're setting yourself up for failure. So I do have a couple questions for you. What is your motivation when you do things? Seems like a pretty simple question, right? What is your motivation? Are you working hard for a living so you can earn money, so that you can be well off, so that you can afford those $5 lottery tickets? Are you working for God? Second question. What does worship look like when you're away from this building. What does it look like when it's not Sunday morning worship? And thirdly, I would like you to examine how you find yourself still conforming to worldly wisdom. Because we're all in process, we're not perfect, we're not fully good and acceptable in everything that we do. So examine for yourself where you find yourself conforming to worldly wisdom. Those are the three questions that I would like you to examine as we split up to our cell groups and uh, discuss this today.